you know, start to see the youth development programs and veterans that are looking for a trade now. Those are always untapped potentials there. But, you know, that's not Taco Bell. You know, you son of a (laughs) inside joke, inside joke. This is the one and only the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value. Brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. Hello and welcome back to Our Value, brought to you by IDI Distributors. You're listening to the Insulators Podcast. Sitting here across the table via Zoom with my partner in crime, Don Clymer. Bam! Bam! <laughs> What's going on, Travis? Not a whole lot. No uh, Hurricane Sally today, huh? Nope. Dodge another bullet with that one, thankfully. Look, looks like... I always feel bad saying that because it's like <laughs> you, wish, you wish bad things to happen to other people. I feel like when I say that, but truthfully, I'm like, I am happy. It didn't hit us. Right. You know, it sucks for those people. I'm willing to help out, but yep. Dodge another one. So we dodged Laura first and now Sally. And there's more coming. If you look at the, <laughs> the radar. Yeah. There's like five of them. Yeah. Up there. I saw, yeah. I saw, and they're all like coming in hard. Like there's two of them that are supposed to hit like within 20, 22 hours of each other or something like that. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. So, Donnie, we're back doing this podcast thing. And I understand we've got a little bit of a special guest today. We do. Well, Travis, we do. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him? Yeah, we're going to uh, change things up a little bit today. Um, you know, we always have outside guests, you know, whether it's David Averin or um, Brian Bolio, you know, people from the industry. Um, and then we also have, you know, vendors and, you know, product, product knowledge, people stuff on there. But since we've started this podcast, I've started listening to more podcasts and I always find myself going towards a podcast that have to do with leadership and accountability and mentoring and just how to be a overall better person and, you know, better at my job and better with my family. And, you know, so I I sat back and I'm like, man, who, who would be really good on that? And, you know, everybody listens to Rogan and, you know, everybody listens to Jocko. And I was like, who could we get like Jocko, you know, like, should I send him an email? I'm like, nah, like our four listeners probably won't impress him (laughs) that much. Um, but I thought, you know, sometimes, uh, the, the easiest answer is the one that's right in front of your face, right? I mean, it's just, it stares at you. And there it was right in front of my face. So today on the show, we have ADI's very own Jeff Costa and why he's a, well, let me back up. So Jeff, Jeff's been with us just under four years and started as sales at the New York branch, moved into branch manager and is now a regional manager for the New York and Pennsylvania markets. Um, I haven't looked at the recent numbers. I'm not privy to all of them, but I think since he's taken over that region, he probably has double, tripled, or quadrupled those sales numbers in there. And that's a true testament to his leadership skills, right? 
Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but why I, I thought of Jeff was he comes from probably one of the best, if not the best place in the country or the planet to produce leaders. And that's West Point. Jeff graduated West Point, uh, did two tours in Iraq through from 06 to 09, I believe. Jeff can correct me if I'm wrong on that later on. Um, and he truly is one of the most positive people I have ever met in my entire life. And I've been at IDI 16 years. Jeff's been here a little under four, like I said. And I find myself going to him for advice as much as he used to come to me. Um, and I thought, well, let's get him on. Let's get one of IDI's own on so people can hear, you know, who IDI employs and the type of people that that we have to offer to the, the industry, right? And maybe they can grab some of Jeff's motivation. I mean, if you follow his LinkedIn page, the guy's crazy nuts on customer service and leadership and just positivity. So with that, welcome, Jeff. What's up, guys? Thank you very much. Well, first of all, thank you for your service, young man. And I can say young man because I think you're considerably younger than me, but I don't know. I still got more of my hair than you do, but you're still looking <laughs> good, brother. Uh, I appreciate that. I keep it tight to keep the grays out. The grays are coming. <laughs> As I say they're premature, but they, you know, they came for a reason. So, and look, Don, I greatly appreciate that introduction. You know, I humbly wear about a size 10 shoe. So I'm going to try to fit the size 13 you just introduced me as. Um, but that, that, I'm very humbled and honored by that introduction. So thank you. Oh, well-deserved, man. Well-deserved. Yeah. So Jeff, let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, let's just get into it. Talk, let's talk about the decision process of going to West Point. Were you the yeah. class clown? Were you the, the jokester? Or were you just dialed in, straight-laced, from day one coming out of mama? You know, it's, it's funny. So that's, a, it's an interesting story, right? So, you know, it's, it's very, very real. There was my freshman group of, this is high school now, right? So we're in high school, my freshman, sophomore, junior, going into senior year, there were 11 of us on my high school lacrosse team. So we had a pretty large group of guys, um, you know, in our senior class. There's our junior year, you know, we, all of us were starting to talk about colleges and if we could play college ball and this and that. Ten out of 11 of those guys went to the University of Albany together, upstate New York. And they made like one big pact, wow. the brotherhood. Um, that is pretty much just going to be hop hog high school grade 13, you know, in, in my eyes. Uh, where they were going to continue and they had this bond and pact and, and true story, 10 out of the 11 of us went to Albany. And during that time, it was really, those were one of those moments that I just knew there was something different. There was something more I was looking for. Um, I wasn't prepared to just kind of follow the pack that way. Uh, and so I started doing some research on, uh, you know, different opportunities and a lot of those, you know, with my success in academics and sports, uh, led me looking at some military academies and eventually, you know, blessed with the opportunity to go to West Point. Kind of expand. Hey, real quick. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Pancake. Oh, it's nothing new. We're pretty used to that. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did have my hand up. I did not uh, see it. It was late. Okay, whatever. Uh, Hap Hog. Is that 
not the town or close to the town where Medal of Honor winner Michael Murphy was. Isn't that right in that area? Yeah, that's spot on, Don. Good, good uh, information. That's about 15 miles. Mike Murphy was from Patchog, uh, which is about, you know, 15 miles uh, west of Hopog, where I grew up. So Mike Murphy was in that in my backyard. So sorry, sorry to interrupt. So you knew something bigger was out there. You knew you needed to do something a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I knew I was always, you know, um, I, you know, I always was very patriotic. Um, you know, I was always very much for the country. I always, you know, I, I, you know, I always believed in service, you know, whether, you know, I kind of grew up, I was that, you know, kid that you would have the lawnmower out mowing my you know parents grass and I would na- mow my neighbor's yard just because I had it out and I figured I'd help him out, um, you know, and save him the trouble of doing it. So, um, or, you know, my favorite things were taking in my neighbor's garbage bales, you know, really? uh, oh, I loved it. You know, I mean, to me it was, you know, just a small, simple task and, you know, people always used to, you know, my garbage bales, make it up to my, you know, my garage door and stuff. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I always love doing things, um, you know, mowing the grass or taking in pails at seven in the morning before anyone was there. Um, you know, that you're not looking for the recognition. You weren't doing it for any other purpose, but just to serve, just to help. Just to See, people thought I was a nice kid growing up Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> when it would snow in Minnesota, I, I got my first ATV when I was like 12 and my dad got a plow on it. And we kind of lived in a country and the, the houses were pretty far spread apart, but I'd go out, I, I would pray for snow just so I could plow our driveway. Right. And then I'd go and hit the neighbor's houses just because it gave me more time on there. And they're like, Oh, that Don is such a nice kid. I'm like, and I'm really not. I just like to ride the four wheeler. <laughs> so one's self-serving and the other one just wants to help out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true leadership, Don, true leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Jeff, you and I've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the whole West point. Why don't you kind of just give it some reality there and just, it's not an easy place to get into. You got to have a lot going on for you which you obviously had. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, West Point was, uh, you know, it's just one of those places, right? So, you know, West Point, you know, you average, you know, thousands, you know, thir- um, like tens of thousands of applicants trying to get into West Point, you know. 30- wait, wait, hold on. I want to back up. We, we kind of skipped over the part where you decided, hey, West Point is for me. Yeah. That's where I want to go. I want to leave my core group of guys who we made this pact. We're going to kill it at Albany. Right. And I was, you realized, hey, I got to do something bigger and better. And right. you decided on West Point. How did how did you get to that conclusion? Um, it was um, so, you know, what the what happened was the lacrosse coach came down to watch me play. Right. So, you know, at that point, it was an athletic thing. And the lacrosse coach came to watch me play. And my high school guidance counselor actually went to West Point, but he quit after three weeks. He didn't make it past the first couple of weeks of what they call, you know, the cadet basic training. So when my high school guidance counselor, who was also my wrestling coach, who was also my lacrosse coach, found out I was looking into West Point, 
and believed that I was good enough possibly to, you know, besides the service and the military and all that stuff, could actually play lacrosse there also. The lacrosse coach came down for a visit and he sat with me and my, you know, guidance counselor. He was serving in his guidance counselor role for this. And he started explaining to me what West Point entailed as a freshman, that you had to start your day by memorizing the front page of the newspaper so that any upperclassmen can ask you what's going on in the news. And you had to not only know, but you had to be able to uh, verbatim quote paragraphs on the newspaper that Which you had. Newspaper? To, what's that? Which newspaper? Anyone? Or? No, it was the times. The, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you had to memorize breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the menu for the day. Cause at West point, all the cadets sit family style, um, all 4,000 cadets are in one dining facility, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you had to memorize the meals for the day. So at any point in the given day, you know, on your, you're walking to class, an upperclassman can stop you and say, Hey, what am I having for dinner tonight? And you would have to stop what you're doing and get it, you know, the position of attention and say, sir, for dinner, we are having pot roast with a side of mashed potatoes. You will have a side of salad with your choice of salad dressings of balsamic vinaigrette or Italian. For dessert, we are having ice cream. We will be serving each, you know, whatever. And you'd have to give, you'd, you'd have this, you'd wake up every morning with this list of information that you had to memorize. And so the, this, the, the lacrosse coach was explaining all of this to me um, and just telling me, you know, the success rate versus the failure rate. Uh, and I was locked in, you know, uh, you know, it just you, coming from a conversation with 10, 17 year olds that were going to go, you know, join a fraternity and party it up. Not that I thought anything against that. I just knew it wasn't for me. And so then when I you know, had the conversation about probably an exact 180, where there's, you know, no drinking, no civilian clothes, you're in a uniform every day, you march to class, you know, you, there's this thing at West Point called pinging. If you look it up, you actually have to ping around the hallways, which means you have to keep your right shoulder to the wall and you have to make 90 degree turns at everything you do. So you, you don't, it's not even like you just walk to class. Like you have to ping and march everywhere you go for your freshman year and you can't speak until you're spoken. So when I, all this was presented to me, I was like, man, I'm in like challenge accepted. I want to thrive, especially I wasn't for anybody else, but it also motivated me that my high school guidance counselor slash wrestling coach slash lacrosse coach, who I looked up to quit after three weeks. And I was going to go do that and, and finish that journey for him. So, you know, part of that challenge was probably to do better than him, right? A little bit saying, well, I'm going to last oh, longer yeah. than you, right? That little competition there. Sure. Do, you, do you come from a military family at all? I mean, is that did that have any driving force to this at all? You know, so there was um, – there's an option for the prep school, okay? So there's a preparatory school, which is a fifth year, okay? And it's, you know, it's it was in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, as opposed to West Point, New York. So Fort Monmouth, New Jersey was a prep school. And because I had no military experience, I wasn't 
you know, from, you know, some of the parts of the country, like you guys are, they didn't grow up hunting and fishing and shooting. Um, so, you know, they presented me the option to go to the prep school for a year. And they said, look, it's going to, you know, add a fifth year to your life. You know, you're going to go to school for five years instead of four, you know, you could choose to go directly in, but because you don't have any family military background, because you don't really, you think you do, but you don't know what you're getting yourself into. We highly recommend it. And so I took that path as well uh, and added another year to the whole requirement for me. Wow. Did you ever run into an instance where you were not able to recite the menu? I was going to ask that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I also pride myself on the fact that if you, if you mess up at West Point, you get marching hours. So on a Saturday and Sunday, you have to report in your full dress uniform and they make a 10 by 10 box and you just march in a box for as many hours as you were punished. So, you know, you could get five hours, 10 hours, two hours, you know, for just, you know, messing up or, you know, messing up a room inspection, messing up the meal. So an upperclassman, you know, there were four responses your freshman year. You know, you were allowed to say four things. Yes, sir or ma'am. No, sir or ma'am. Sir or ma'am, I do not understand. No excuse, sir or ma'am. Okay, yeah. and of those four responses, the two that led the way was yes, sir, or ma'am, because you did what you were told, yeah. and then no excuse, sir, or ma'am, because you were set up to fail. Right. Nobody could, you know, nobody could memorize the front page of a newspaper, all three meals, you know, Worth's battalion orders, Gofield's definition of disciplines. There was all these things, you know, you were set up to fail. And so, you know, and they're going to prove to you that no matter how hard you work, you're going to get broken down and fail. And so, you know, you, 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 you learn all those things, but your only response when you fail is no excuse, sir or ma'am. That's all you can say. So, you know, they, you know, years later, you know that you were set up to fail. You were put in positions to fail on purpose. You had to learn to fail. Yeah. Why? Because... 30 to 40,000 applicants a year were going to West Point and they take on average 12 to 1500, which end up probably between 950 and 1050 graduate. Those guys and women that get accepted, they're, they're cream of the crop. They're already in, in regards to their lives by 17, 18 years old of high school. You know, they're, you know, the, the valedictorians, they're, you know, the captains of all their teams, you know, they're the academic all-stars, they're cream of the top. They're already number one. So now you provide an institution where you have 1,000 number ones of egos in an organization, you're going to break them back down and you're going to break them down so that you can mold them into what you want. You're going to force them to fail because up until that part of their life, they didn't know a lot of failures. They might've failed, but they always succeed. They were the successors. They were the cream of the crop. So, you know, that's what it was. So now back to the original question, I did my plenty of hours marching around (laughs) because I messed up things I was supposed to memorize. And you literally just march around in a 10 by 10 box that's taped on the floor for God. (laughs) I don't know what would be worse. The person having to march or I'm assuming somebody was there watching. (laughs) Right. I mean, what's what's the worst punishment? Right. And the person has to supervise them, you start that whole process. When you show up for your hours, 
you're in a formation in your best dressed uniform and they inspect your uniform. And if they find the smudge on your brass buckle, if your gig line is off, they add hours. My God. So, you know, oh yeah. <laughs> so at what point was there a point at, at West point where you were like, screw this, this isn't for me. Um, all the time. Right? Really? All, oh, plenty of times where, you know, you just, um, you know, I mean, it was, you know, you have, you know, the, the three pillars at West point are academic military and athletics. Those are the three pillars that you get graded on and you kind of get, a, you know, the same way we get sales report cards here for the sales reps and stuff, you'd get a report card and your grade in your class, your class ranking was based off your academic performance, your military performance and your athletic performance. And so, you know, trying to, you know, maintain those three pillars, you know, doing physical training in the morning, um, you know, doing academics all day and then, you know, being a division one college athlete, lacrosse player, you know, at the end of the day, trying to do all of that and juggle it. There were plenty of times where I just, you know, work was broken and, you know, uh, you know, thought it, it, it yeah, we, was for me, but we kind of glanced over that. So not only were you going to West Point, you were a D one lacrosse lacrosse player at the same time for them playing, you know, going on a Friday night or a Saturday to go play Syracuse or John Hopkins or, you know, North Carolina, you know, UNC Tar Heels going to play, you know, Virginia, you know, going to play at some of these amazing places um, and seeing these college kids and the way they live and then getting back on a bus in your uniform and going back to the gray walls of West Point, you know, so yeah. And trying to succeed as a division one athlete, um, and, you know, come home at nine, 10 o'clock at night, um, you know, and know you got, you know, from a Tuesday night game and know that you got physical training at, you know, 6am the next day in your first class at 9am, you know, in your first test at 10am, um, you know, in, in geography or, you know, calculus or physics, it was a lot, it was a lot to sure. juggle. Damn. Sign so, me up. <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. So while you're there. You obviously have to, I'm assuming, have to pick what you want to do after your five years, including the prep school, what you want to do in the military after you graduate, correct? Exactly, correct. So how did you talk a little bit about what influenced, what you chose, what influenced you to go that way and, and how that all transpired? So what I, in that regard, you know, I chose field artillery. Okay. Now in light of this whole podcast, why I chose field artillery, because you got a couple of days to spend time with a lot of different branches. So those branches of that choice that you're talking about, Don, be it infantry, field artillery, um, you know, aviation, Medicor, JAG for the legal side of things, you know, all those different branches, you got to spend a couple of days with, you know, uh, generals, brigade commanders who are full bird colonels uh, of those branches. And the artillery leadership at that time just spoke volumes to me. The, the, the guys that presented that branch uh, the way they presented it, their level of passion, um, their level of buy-in to what they do every day, 
that's what drew me to that branch. And that's why I chose that branch. So it kind of seems like you had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. What, what, what drove that, you know, the, to, to want to put yourself through all this, um, you know, you seem to get more excited about it, the more difficult it sounded. Um, well, yeah, look, I mean, you know, there was, um, a lot of driving factors, you know, I mean, it was, but a lot of it was just my upbringing, you know, and a lot of it was, um, you know, and with, you know, without going too much into detail, you know, I mean, uh, I lost my father to suicide when I was two years old. Um, you know, my mom, I had an older brother at the time who, you know, never really, you know, recovered well from that. And, you know, there was a lot of issues and a lot of fallout from the family and, um, you know, there was just a lot of, um, pieces of my upbringing that drove me to, you know, a get away from it, but also rise above it and, and prove to my family, um, you know, that we could have somebody successful. Was it proved to your family or was it more proving to yourself? Oh, it was a hundred percent, you know, proving to myself, you know, I mean, um, you know, if, if, you know, the, the family piece, um, was, but again, right. We talk leadership. So a great leader once mm-hmm. told me, if you're going to go to West point to prove to anybody else that you can do this, you will fail out. Right. But if you're going to well, go to West point to prove to yourself that you can do this and succeed. Then you will succeed. So we sure. get out, of, we get out of West point, figure out what we want to do in the military. And you did two tours. I know we don't want to go too deep on that, but just kind of just give us a taste of what that was. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, that's the most honored time of my life, you know, the ability um, to you know be an officer on the officer side of things and take command of soldiers. Hold on one sec, Jeff. Yeah, let's let's put this in a time frame perspective. When did you go to West Point? When what year did you graduate? 2005. So you went in in 2000 before. 9-11 to um, the prep school. Yeah, it was my freshman year and we lost about 20% of my class quit after 9-11 because stuff got real. Yeah, 100%. You're kidding. Yeah, which was a little concerning at first, but, you know, once that kind of, you know, cliche dust settled from 9-11 and we lost a lot of our classmates who quit because it got real, I mean, before 9-11, we hadn't been to war since what time? What was the real last war, right? So everyone kind of went to West Point understanding that your obligation was to go into the military afterwards for a minimum of five years, but it was still peacetime. So, right. you know, just going to peacetime. 9-11 happened and stuff got real. I mean, I literally was a part of West Point watching generals come together and ch- change up until 9-11, we were still digging foxholes in the sides of the mountains like like it was Vietnam. It was, you know, like That's Vietnam. That's what I was going to ask. Is jungle warfare. It had to be. It had to be a very visible change from Unbelievable. 9-11 on. Unbelievable. I mean, literally from jungle warfare training tactics, yeah. right? Communication, level of security, you know, digging foxholes in the side of a mountain, like I was saying to literally, you know, urban warfare, you know, of clearing rooms, kicking in doors, you know, translating, you know, you know, dealing with, you know, women, 
Um, I mean, just the training doctrine. I literally was a part of real life watching the entire training doctrine of our country change. It was fascinating. Yeah, it had to be. So, so everybody who stayed knew that they were, they were staying at wartime and, 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 and so it was concerning to see how many people left, but when the dust settled, it was the best thing and most amazing thing because everybody knew those were the people that were there for the right reasons yeah, because exactly. it was, yes, there was no longer, if, you know, we were always training, like if you went to war, you'd have to do this. If you went to war, you'd have to do that. 9-11 happened and it's like, hey, when you go to war, right, right. It's not an if anymore. As soon as you if. graduate, right. As soon as you graduate, you are going to war. This is what you got to be prepared for. And so everyone in my class that was left, we were actually on the cover of Time magazine. You can look at my graduating class, the 2005 graduating class. We were called the uh, class of 9-11. Really? So you, knowing all this, you pick a job in the military yeah. artillery where, you know, you're probably going to not be sitting back on your haunches. Right. Right. So yeah. it speaks a lot to, to your character on that one, I guess, like Travis said, without going too deep into that. Um, I, I know just from listening and reading other things, Oh, six, Oh, seven, Oh, eight. Those were some pretty intense times over there. Right. And I guess my question to you is during those times, um, I know, I know it was, uh, you experienced some, some things over there, right? I guess what is there, can you pinpoint one leadership trait or one, one thing that you just dug down deep and pulled from your experience at West Point to, to help you? Or is there, was there a go-to thing that you looked at or what was, how did that experience help you set apart from just a regular enlisted guy? Um, I mean, that's a phenomenal question, Don. And the biggest part of it, you know, not only the physical, because the, the you know, there's, there's the physical side of it, but the much, much bigger part of it is the mental psychological part of it. Right. So, you know, one thing I, I still to this day do, you know, we used to, um, you know, we used to do it in lacrosse. We used to do it in training all the time. You know, we would set a goal, right? Or we would get told like, all right, you know, we're going to do 100-yard sprints for four quarters because the game is four quarters, right? And we got to make sure we could do these for all four quarters in a real real game situation. Or, you know, we're going to do this for, you know, you got to get up this side of the mountain and down that side of the mountain because that's what's going to be your task when you're in combat. And as soon as you completed it and you were like, you, mentally you were thought you were done, if it was lacrosse, then they hit you with overtime. Oh, guess mm -hmm. what? Game ended. It's tied 10-10. Now we're going to overtime. And you you just thought you were, you just thought right. you, right? You're like, man, yep. what? no, man, you said four quarters, we were done, right? We just did a yeah. hundred yard sprints, right? Or you went down, you went up the one side of the mountain, you came back down the other, you got blisters on your feet, you smoked, you got a hundred pounds of gear on your back. And they were like, oh, by the way, you, something, you know, piece of sensitive information got left back on the other side. Now go back up and down the other side. Good and, <laughs> So it was just constant, you know, the mind manipulation of, you know, and that's when I really, really learned that the mind quits long before the body does. You know, people are like, oh, I physically can't do this anymore. 100% wrong. That's your mind telling your body that it can't. 
your your mind quits before your body. Your body is so physically capable of anything. So to go back to that question, Don, it was it was the physical side of it, but it was more the mental side of it. You know, I mean, physically, you know, you wanted to be in a superior situation at all times, you know, that so that you could perform it at any given time or you know when when needed. But the mental aspect of it is, you know, when the other guys were breathing hard. And they were trying to just focus on breathing as opposed to what the real mission was. You could take the deep breath and give them clear, concise guidance of what the next task at hand and lead them in that manner. Well, they were just worried about how to you know, get their canteen out and take a drink of water because they thought they were going to die, you know. And, and so it was yeah. that. You know, there, there, you said there was multiple times at West Point where you were like, F this, I'm out, um, you know, but. Being over there in war, which you, when you went to West Point, you weren't prepared for, you know, there's multiple times you wanted to quit. What did you see now? Were you, was there ever that aha moment when you were over there? Like, okay, now I get what they were doing to us. Like, was there, does that make sense? Of course it does. And, and that kind of goes back to the whole, you know, why you were set up to fail your freshman year, you know, sure. why, why, you know, why your two most excuse, your two most lines of your four given allowable lines were yes, sir, or ma'am, or no excuse, sir, or ma'am, because you were set up to fail. And, you know, failing, being kind of molded back to what they wanted you to be, um, everything that those, those moments of I'm going to quit West Point, I can't do this, I can't handle it, and then you graduate. And you have that moment of, of, you know, that confidence that you did do it. And then, you know, when you're, you're, you're there, that's when it kind of all, all clicks, you know, um, that aha moment, exactly. Just like you said of, you know, almost like what I was saying before, when you see a bunch of guys, you know, kind of lost in a moment and they all eyes turn on you because they know that oh, you're going to get them what's what's the right thing to do. You know, that's when you're like, man, I'm, I was trained for this. This is why they did that. And, you know, now I could lead these guys to success. Well, there has to be a sense of, you know, real accomplishment too. Cause you know, if, if I did my math, right, you know, 4,000 applicants. And by the time that you graduate 950, I think you said, you know, that's, that's less than 25% of people that make it through. That's right. incredible. So there's got to be a huge sense of personal victory and accomplishment in that. So, right, man, that's I didn't realize the magnitude of that of of what all it takes mentally and physically. I mean, you know, you see it in the movies, you watch, you read books, you all that, but just hearing it firsthand account because I know you pretty well, and we've talked about some of these things. But yes, I just, sir. Yeah. I, 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 I am. I've always had this sense of I wish I would have put myself through something like that, um, and I have no regrets. But I think it would have served me well. Um, I always kind of lived secondhand through you know some family members that were in the military, um, and then just um, wanting to serve my country in different ways. Just life happened and well, we never talked, went that route. Yeah, we've talked about that, Travis. You know, it's just everyone has their path. You know, your path doesn't make you better or worse than mine, and just because I chose this path that had, you know, a, a, a failure versus success rate and I succeed, doesn't make me better than anybody, you know, doesn't, you know, I put my pants on the same way you do, you know, you're as good of Three a legs at a time. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and that's, yeah, you know, you know so that's go, it. going back into that, Jeff, that's, that's, that's the, uh, you're so humbled, you know, for somebody that's achieved quite a bit in their life and, and seeing some things that most people have never seen good and bad. Um, you, you, as Don said in the beginning, you, you, you're one of the most upbeat, positive and funny, by the way, um, guys that I know. And that there's a lot of, uh, you know, small, inspiring moments, just, you know, uh, kind of what would Jeff say about this? You know, the, the advice, the conversations we've had over the years. So um, I was excited about this as, as Don was when we said, hey, we need to get Jeff on this. And it's one of those things are like, yeah, why didn't we do this before? Because I right. think there's a lot you can offer to this. And it's been been a fantastic 38 minutes already. Um, yeah. and, and we haven't even, I don't think, broke the surface. So um, right. let's kind of continue. Well, think- Go ahead, Don. I think part of this is, you know, we've done what Travis, 15 episodes, maybe something like that. And, you know, you're always looking for new guests. And just like I said, in the beginning, you know, one of them was sitting right in front of our face the whole time. Right. And that can be translated to the workforce. Right. One of the biggest things that we hear out there now is the lack of lack of labor, lack of, I can't find a, a good worker. I can't do this, but you know, maybe that guy is sitting right in front of one of our customers, you know? And, and I think Jeff, you do an amazing job on, on social media, on LinkedIn, promoting, you know, promoting yourself and, and IDI. And I don't know, you know, maybe not all of, all of the customers in that area or, well, I'm sure all the customers that you deal with know the type of service and, um, support they're going to get from you with, with the products and everything. But, you know, maybe, maybe for our listeners out there who are IDI customers who are in this market, not buying from us, you know, there could be this untapped resource sitting right in front of them that, that they haven't reached out to yet. And so Jeff, you know, with, with you having that, that career and that history, you getting out of the service, you come out and you're like, Oh shit, now I got to do something. Um, you know, and, and you've been, you've had a great early career at IDI. What, what are some of those, you know, it's, I keep going back to the attributes and the, the things you took away from West Point, but I mean, you are, you are extremely positive. You are a leader and, and you were, you were broken down from West Point. I'm assuming got built back up. You had a good career in the military and, and I only imagine like, you say set up to fail and not that IDI or any company sets people up to fail. Let's, let's take our, one of our customers, you know, they bring a guy on and they expect them to be able to go out into the job and do this. And, you know, maybe some of them are setting people up to fail unknowingly. I mean, do you ever see that? Do you ever think that and be like, man, if I could just get into this contractor and, and help him with a training program or an onboarding program, like we call it, you know, do you ever think that? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I, I try to talk to this a lot and, you know, it doesn't matter the industry. It doesn't matter, um, you know, the trade that we're talking about, you know, it's, it doesn't matter how small your organization is or how big it is. You know, if you're, you know, Don Climbers installation services, or if you're a fortune 500 company, um, you, you still got to do things the right way. And to me, the four biggest things that I, I took away from a lot of that in regards 
to not setting your individual up and also not setting your own organization up are you know, four key tasks. The first key task in that is to recruit. You have to recruit well. And again, you, which means you have to find the right fit. Okay. So whether it's Don Climbers Insulation Services or IDI Distributors, you know, you still have to find the right fit for your group, right? You, so you got to recruit well. Then once you're finished, the recruiting side of it, and you make the decision on both parties that it's a good fit, you have to train. The second key phase is training. Okay. No employee gets brought on and thinks, you know, that they're just going to get thrown into the fire. So you have to recruit well, then you have to train well. After that, the third key bullet, which I think is where most people fail, organizations, companies, anything, is develop. You have to develop your people. You could train them all day long and make them good at their job, but people want to be developed. They want to know what's next. They want to feel like, like Travis was saying to me before, like, oh, chip on your shoulder. You know, it seems like you have, you know, what a sense of accomplishment. People get that by being developed. They want to, they want to complete a task and they want to know there's more for them. So first you got to recruit well, then you got to train, then you got to develop. And what does that lead to? The fourth biggest bullet, which is maintain. Then you maintain your people. So you have to recruit, train, develop, and then you get to maintain your team. And once you have a maintained team, that's when you really grow synergy, you know, grow the ability for growth. Um, and all those things. So, you know, that's what I see. And in regards to our customers and on the, you know, our part of the world, a lot of what I hear are guys are scared. Owners are scared to train and develop their guys because of this fear that they're going to go out and start their own insulation company. Yeah, I hear it's that big a lot too. Spray foam side, you know, and it's a lot. So guys are like, you know, you're like, man, you, your guys are starved. I'm on your job site. You got some really good guys. You're not empowering them enough. You know, you're not. You're making them. You don't delegate to them. You know, instead of teaching your guy or developing your guy, you're you're enabling you know you or you're you're handicapping him by making you the point of contact. You know, you're making yourself your own worst enemy because you can't grow your company if your guys are blowing up your phone, you know, every time they need something, you know, and hey, let's, let's go through this. These, the, Jeff, those were those are great four bullet points. And and I think a lot of our customers and listeners could, you know, really get some value added learning from that. Right. And right. I just say, let's let's hammer them out bullet point by bullet point. And, you know, recruitment, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I, I, I haven't had a sales story, sales territory in a long time, but one of my, you know, memories is, is the guys would see their competition um, doing a job in the same subdivision and they'd go over and say, Hey, what are you guys making? Okay. I'll pay you a dollar more. If you come work for me, boom, those guys would jump ship and go over there. Right. Where, where are some other avenues that, our guys could maybe tap into, do you think, or ways, different ways to recruit? Because I guess obviously some of uh, the standard ways aren't working anymore with the lack of labor force out there. Right. Um, yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know if I have great answers for that. You know, I mean, you know, there's um, the, you know, because I see the same thing and I hear the same thing. Yeah. I don't have solution for my customers. I mean, I tell my guys, you know, to go to, um, you know, like by, by me, I have a United way. There's a United way with a training program 
um, you know, for the youth and the veterans. And, you know, I tell my customers they need to go hang out over there and start to, you know, have some type of presence with the United Way and, you know, start to see the youth development programs that are coming and what could be their future as long as, you know, veterans that, you know, are looking for work or looking for a trade now to, to, to apply in the civilian world so they could go to work and have a purpose and a function. Um, I think those are always, you know, untapped potentials there. Um, but, you know, that's not Taco Bell. You know, you son of a <laughs> inside joke, inside joke. Um, it, it, just to kind of kind of piggyback on what you just said, that's a fantastic idea. I mean, we've had some people on here specifically talking about you know uh, personnel and stuff, and that's that's one of the better ideas I've heard is you know get into a, a perspective of a of a young person through something like that. You know, you're you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're creating an opportunity for somebody that's young. And you're also able to kind of influence them and mold them um, from from their youth. So, and and that's the other thing, you know, like you know, what's missing in what what Don was saying, you know, like you know, guy goes across the street and says, "Hey, what's he paying you? I'll pay you a dollar more, or you come." You know, that guy doesn't go if he's got loyalty and he's got buy-in, right? So, you know, you if you you know, mentored that kid you recruited him well, you trained him well, and you developed him well, you maintain him. He's not going to leave you for the buck, right? You say, oh, man, you know what? I appreciate that. But, you know, I got this guy, you know, he, he kind of developed me and, and, and molded me here with him, and I've grown up with him. He gives us and, – and, and smaller ways for the buying. You know, I mean, there are times where I go to a job site and, you know, he's got his – you know, the install crew is all wearing, like, white T-shirts or, or tank tops – and I'm like, man, you you should get, you know, I'm like, look, you see what I got? See my IDI company, my company shirt? Why don't you get your, you know, spend a hundred bucks and get your guys all company shirts. Put a logo on a t-shirt so you guys feel like they're going to work for somebody every day, that they, they have a uniform and they're part of something. It doesn't matter that you're, you know, a uh, you know, $100,000 a year, you know, small construction company or insulation, you know, company, you know, build a team. I don't, if you got a two-man install team, Get them company shirts and and make them t- tell them you wear that shirt every day because you represent my company. You know we're a team. Right. Not only that, from a yeah. customer's perspective, you look more professional. You know, you, uh-huh. it's so it's again double <laughs> killing two birds with one stone. There, your guys are feeling better and you look better to the you know perspective of the customer. So exactly. Bullet point number two: training. I think when when our customers hear training, they think grade one install. You know how to rebuild a gun, how to do that. But there's more to training than just that. Right. Right. And, and I think, you know, if they, if they, I think a big thing is, and I can't remember which guest we had on Travis that talked about, uh, it might've been David Averin when he talked about a career path. Right. And guys, you know, millennials and, and that, that force, they want to see a path. And, and that path I think is more than just teaching somebody how to rebuild a stick pump or how to, you know, install a bat properly or whatever. So training is, is, is a big part outside of just the physical application of it. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know if, you know, it has to be like West point where you break a guy down, you know, we're talking insulation here, you know, kind of the training and development start to blend together, right? Phase two and phase 
start to blend, right? Um, yep. And it could be as small as what Travis was talking about. You know, I mean, you know, these, to me, you know, our customers, you know, if you're a big company like us, it, it's really hard to have that individual impact on somebody's lives. You know, to me, our customers have the greatest opportunity to really impact, you know, their team, right? They can really, really make a positive impact on somebody's life. So that training and development phase, if it's just about, you know, you know, how to rebuild a gun or, you know, how to read an error code or how to install fiberglass, you, that training and development comes, you know, apply that to their lives, you know, dude, make your bed every day. Okay. Get out of bed, make your bed, come to work in my company t-shirt, look professional, you know, tuck your shirt in, you know, lace your boots, stop walking around with your boots unlaced. Okay. Put your belt on tighter, jack up your pants. I mean, these guys can, you know, really like make a team, right. And have an impact. So when this guy walks off a job site, you know, over time, it, it changes who he is. You know, he's like, man, this is, you know, I feel better. I have a better appearance. My job sites are cleaner, more. And, you know, the owner and the installers will see that they got, you know, more opportunities, more recommendations, more referrals, because, man, this clean, this crew looks professional. They're clean on a job site. They do what they're going to do. They're on time because the guys wake up, they make their bed, they put their clothes on, they come to work. I mean, it's a whole thing. But you, you can't, you have to walk the walk and there has to be a point in time, whether it was West Point, whether it was while you were in the service where you just didn't have a leader, somebody above you that you didn't respect. Maybe I'm wrong, but there had to be that guy, I'm assuming where it was like, this guy can eat a bag of whatever, you know? And, and so, you know, when you say, Hey, lace up your boots, pull up your pants, wear the shirt. That doesn't, you can't just pull up to the job site as an owner, roll down your window, bark orders at the guy and peel out of there when you're wearing, you know, a, a Cheeto stained t-shirt and you got a 65 ounce big gulp in, <laughs> in the cup holder, yeah. right? One is if you had somebody in a leadership role above you that right. you didn't respect or didn't think they, they earned your respect or that leadership role. How did you deal with that? And two, I forgot the second part already. <laughs> it happens. But I'll, I'll remember while you talk and I'll cut you off again. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the hundred percent had that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say his name, but you know, um, it's what it really did was, you know, forced me and really wanted me to, you know, unite my team even more. And I was so much more protective of my team. Um, and I was willing to take the hits so much more and act as a, a, a shield or deflection point for my team, because no matter what this guy could say or do, you know, he whatever the reason, you know, sometimes you, like you just said, there's just a guy in a leadership position where you all scratch in your head, how the heck did he get here? Right. And so, you know, you, you can either just let that become a divide and you know, because you don't have an answer for it and you can't answer your team, you can let them all just be disgruntled 
and say, man, this, this is stupid. You know, I don't even know why I'm here anymore. You know, like this guy, I got no, I don't understand this guy's direction. I understand his vision, you know, and you could become disgruntled and you can start to have a team that you'll, the fabric that binds you together is starting to tear and you, and you lose them. And once you lose them mentally and, and, you know, it it gets bad, you know, or you can find, you know, you could just take the fact of, you know, look, I'm going to be your shield. I'll deflect. I'll walk all the hours, but you guys are going to stand behind me united, you know, because I'll, I'll do all that for you. And all I want in return is for you guys to continue to show up in the shirt, right. And be united. That's all I ask for in return. I wonder how many of our customers share like with their employees, like their vision and their dream for the, for the company, you know, do, do the, I just, I would, I would love to know the percentage of like, Hey, you know, you're part of the family and we're going to share in this growth. And, you know, you are an integral part of the team versus, you know, here's today's work order. See you at four o'clock. So it's not a knock on our customers. Right. But, you know, we probably have, you know, some customers with amazing backgrounds that, you know, you know, coach the team came from, so, you know, there's, I'm sure there are, but, I'm sure there's a lot of others who created their company because they just didn't want to work for anybody else, you know, and had an entrepreneurial spirit and started their company. Um, so how many of them are taking it upon themselves to read a leadership book? Right. Right. How many of them are listening to a Jacko you know, podcast or a Rogan podcast about leadership or some of these other things, you know, so that they can be, or, or do they just, you'll think of it as they could just show up on a job site in a Cheeto stained t-shirt and bark orders at their guys because they're the owners. Right. And, right. and think that's okay. So, you know, it, it comes down to just that, you know, and that is another part of that training development and maintaining piece is what I was talking about before with company t-shirts or buy-in, you know, do your guys just show up every day and, you know, you know all you do is tell them, you know, be at this job site at 7 a.m. And I expect you to have the first and second floor done by noon, you know, and then by two o'clock be here and and get half the first floor done, you know, and then we'll do it again tomorrow. Like, you know, do they have any buy-in of, of what they're doing, the greater purpose, you know, do they feel like they're just hourly installers Mm -hmm. or do they feel like they're, you know, an intricate part of a building system that's going to meet code compliance that's going to get, you know, someone, a family at some point is going to move into that house. Right. Like, do they right. feel all like, you know, yeah. is that, is that a vision that like, guys, like we're, we're not, I'm not letting you cut that corner because there's going to be an infant in that room maybe someday. Yeah. Do you, do you care? Yeah. Do you know that? Like I'm not paying you by the hour. So you, you could cut a corner over there. I'm paying yep. you because we're going to put a family in here someday. Okay. And, and if you live in a house that has a draft, are you okay with that? You know, like, like, what do you really, you know, get into your guys? And so, you know, walking the walk, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, the, the, these customers, right? Like I see a lot of, you know, I'm going to share with you guys, you know, you, you two guys are the only two that know this right now besides my family. Right. So I'll just share it with you guys. But you know, everybody else is going to hear this. Which I'm fine with. Do we have a, do we have a breaking news sounder, Don? (laughs) Go Jeff. I can't wait to hear this. So Saturday night, 
um, I, you know, I have my kids every weekend. I'm divorced. I have my three children. I have them every weekend. Um, Saturday night, I'm tucking my kids into bed. And typically my nine-year-old daughter, I still sing her the same three lullabies every time I put her to bed. And at some point I'll end up falling asleep in her bed with her. Right. <laughs> and I'll wake up a half hour, an hour later and, and stuff like that. And, you know, get up and I'll go upstairs and my fiance lives with me, obviously. And, and so Saturday night I go up to the bedroom and there's garbage bags all over the bedroom. And my fiance's stuff was packed and she was gone. I knew something was up cause I couldn't find the dogs. They weren't in their crate. Um, but so long story short, you know, my fiance packed up all her stuff and left me over the weekend in the middle of the night while I fell asleep in my daughter's bed. And so while I'm still trying to figure out some stuff there. Right. So in what we're talking about, like walking the walk and true leadership and stuff like that, you know, I was, at, at, you know, this has been a real rough week. Right. And so yeah, holy shit, I was like, I was like, you know what? I was going to text you guys earlier and be like, man, like I just, I can't, I'm not, I'm not up for this. You know, like I don't, um, it's not, but leadership is selfless service. Okay. And selfless service and leadership and, and why you're a leader, right? You're not, you don't just, you're not a leader because you own a company. Okay. You're a leader because you exhibit certain traits and a leader leaves stuff at home. Okay. And he doesn't let it impact anything else around him. Okay. Right. And so now you go back to what we were talking about before with, you know, some combat stuff and things and without getting into details. Right. And what you were saying, like that aha moment when you're like, man, all mm-hmm. this was this moment. Right. Yeah. So people die in a moment. People die. Right. You can't stop and think about it in that moment. You can't feel, you can't show emotion. You can't think. You have to react and lead. Okay. You have to bury that and you have to react and lead. Why? Because if you don't and you stop and think about it and try to process what happened, let yourself feel emotion is next. Right. So you have to just bury it. You have to lead because they're probably not trained like you or they're not trained like you. They're going to be looking, feeling, processing emotions and you have to snap them out of it because there's a mission in front of you to accomplish. Okay. And the immediate mission is just to get your guys out of there. Right. And so there's one person that they're going to look to, to get that done. Right. So leaders, you know, what I see all the time you know, a guy will show up 30 minutes after he told me to be there. Oh, I'm going to be on the job site, you know, at, at 7 a.m. My guys are starting at, at 7. I'll be there with them. Their guys are there at 7, and the guy shows up at 7.30, and he's talking, to, you know, you know, loud. Well, I got into a fight with my wife, or, you know, I couldn't get my freaking kid out of bed to go to school. I couldn't do this. I, I was mad about this. I was arguing with the, you know, lumber yard. They didn't ship my two-by-fours. I'm I blame, I'm blaming, I'm blaming, I'm reacting, I'm showing emotion. I'm, you can't do that, right? You just have to show up in a not stained Cheeto t-shirt. You have to look professional. You have to care genuinely about the guy to your left and to your right, and you have to lead them. You can't process any of those things. 
You can't process. There's you know you gotta just walk the walk, right? You gotta yeah. be a, yeah. a in the moment. You know, if the material doesn't come or your delivery's late and your guys are right next to you and they see you on the phone screaming like a lunatic, oh motherfucker, I want a free delivery, I want 10% off the rest of my life. Or if they hear you on the phone, like, hey man, where's my delivery? It's supposed to be here at seven. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I understand there was a problem. What's the solution? Can you help me with the solution? Yes. Okay. So that's the solution. Okay. That's the best outcome for this. All right. Look, stuff happens. I'm not happy. I'll tell you that, but that's the solution. I understand. Let's try not to let this happen again. Let's identify how that happens so that it doesn't happen again. You know, but I understand, you know, what the solution, they turn to their guys and guys, this is, this is our course of action. Now, this is how we're going to deviate from, you know, we we're going to do this, but now I'm going to give you a new course of action. We're going to do this. And you just leave. You know, you, well, and it, I think too, Jeff, if if the employees see the owner always overreacting, always being a hothead, always, you know, going to Mach 5, you know, how do you think they're going to react to you when they have an issue with you? Right. Same way, right? Exactly. Right. It's how you're training them. Yeah. So like you yeah. were saying before, you know, you guys come up to Minnesota for training or we talk about training and we're like, oh, like, you know, level one and, you know, this or how to fix a gun. Like there's so much more to the training aspect. You're trained. You're they're like your children. I was just right? going to say adult babysitting. Like, right? They're watching you. They're watching everything you do and how you say, because, you know, at their level of the industry and their trade, just by the fact that you're the owner of the company, it's your name on their T-shirt. They think you're a leader. Exactly. Yep. The perception is that you're the leader, whether you are acting in that manner or not. So no matter how you're reacting or how you're acting, they're your children watching everything you do. So that you're training them all the time. So that training bullet is so much more than just how to install or how to fix something. Yeah, I think, you know, just listening to this from a perspective of, you know, from a mindset of our customers, just if some of them would take even the, the your four key points, right? Um, you know, recruit, train, develop, maintain. If they just even started practicing that, I think you'd see a change um, with some of these small to medium sized guys and being able to keep guys on. Cause that's the story of, I hear from, you know, from traveling to the West coast to the East coast, it's the same story, right? Can't keep right. guys, can't find guys. So, you know, we gave a little bit of insight on, I still think that United way thing um, could be, you know, something that if you're not trying it, it's worth trying. And then, and then trying to implement some sort of leadership training, you know, maybe, maybe, right. maybe that, uh, maybe that business owner needs to, take a step back and be a little more self-aware of how they're, you know, what is their goals and how are they going to achieve them by, you know, do they have a plan? Are they a leader? Do they have any, like you said, did they read a book? Did they, you know, I mean, it's as simple as that as self-education and really taking a step back and walking that walk as we've been talking about. What are you doing each day to better yourself? Yep. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, a good kind of way to start ending this is, those four bullet points, recruit, train, develop, maintain, right? And you don't have to do that all on your own. As a business owner, that's 
that doesn't have to be all on you. You should have a network and you should have a vendor partner like IDI where you can say, Hey, I, I need help training these guys, not just on, on the install, but let's, let's sit down and talk about, you know, leadership and who does what on each job and what accountability and that stuff. I mean, our IDI guys are capable of doing that. You know, we have, we have specialists in place. We have guys like Travis, Ken Allison, Aaron Meisner, Aaron Franzine, Jeff Costa, you know, that's the type of people that, you know, help make IDI who we are. And, and I think the message is, is, you know, the owners need to be able to one identify and say, okay, this is where I'm lacking. And this is where I need help with and not be afraid to ask for help. You know, that, that's the biggest thing is ask for help. I mean, nobody's going to judge you. And if, if the person does judge you, that's not the person you want the help from. Right. Right. Well, and that's the thing that, you know, now we're going back to the, you know, going back to the ego thing, right? So going back to the ego thing, you know, check your ego at the door, right? I mean, you know, everybody wants to, you know, claim, you know, I buy 57,000 tractor trailers direct a year. You know, hey, I, hey, do you want to hear something funny? And then yes. we, we might edit this out. I don't know. But <laughs> when, when, when I, when we first got into spray foam and I was traveling all over the country with our branches and the sales guys and everything in every single market, every visit that I did, you know who I met? Yeah. The second largest isonine <laughs> dealer in the country. <laughs> Nobody, I never met the first one, but right. I always met the second largest. <laughs> right. And I'm like, right. oh, so you're yeah. bigger than the guy over here, and, and just, that's, that's funny. Time I heard that come out of their mouth. I just laughed. That's funny, Don. Yeah. I've met all those same guys, <laughs> and I think Jeff has too. Yeah. Uh, well, hey guys, okay. I think right. we're in a we're in a, a, a you know look. Let's call it as it is, right? It's you know we're in a male dominated industry, yep. right? And and men are macho and competitive by nature. So, you know, in a male dominated industry, everybody wants to try in that macho ego type of manner. They want to prove that they're better than the guy next to them. Like you were saying, check the ego at the door, you know, learn how to lead your team and learn how to ask for help. You know, that's what IDI prides themselves on, Don, like you were saying, we're not order takers, right? We're not sales reps. We are partners. Okay. We are here to partner with you. Okay, and help you with any of those things. And your individual sales rep might not be the guy that can do that for you, but he knows the Travis Pancake or he knows the Ken Allison and he knows the resources at his fingertips provided by IDI that he can go and do that for them. Right. So that's what the end state is, of course. Well, Well, I think think that's a a good place to kind of end it on. And I I could see this kind of maybe morphing into a uh, couple part series uh, and we could dig into maybe each one of these bullet points and, and talk about that a little bit deeper. Um, I, I thought it was a phenomenal episode. Um, exactly what I wanted to get out of it and, right. you know, recruit, train, develop, maintain, um, you know, let's, let's leave it at that and, you know, leave them wanting more and maybe we'll, uh, be good enough to come up with a couple more episodes on that stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, we did, we only got really dug deep into the to two of those four. So I definitely could see a part yeah. two of this. Um, yeah. And as my friends from the East might say, 
hundred percent. I agree. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I agree that this was you know turned into a great great dialogue. Just what a podcast should be is just you know spitballing ideas and and. Uh, Jeff, your, your reputation precedes yourself. I know your customers love you. Um, there's plenty of people around that have met you that walk away feeling your spirit and seeing that light in you. So, uh, Jeff, I appreciate your time, um, your knowledge. Um, thanks for your services your service. I've led with. Um, and we're going to do part two. I promise you that. Yeah. No, I, yeah, like I said, I can't thank you guys enough for scheduling me. You know, I mean, it, like I said at the very beginning, very honored and humbled to be invited on the podcast and talk about this stuff. Um, uh, yes, obviously, as you can see, I'm very passionate about, you know, the topic. I'm passionate about because of my past, my present, and my future, right? So, you know, all these things, um, you know, are, are important for all of us. So, you know, I appreciate your guys' time as well. Thanks, buddy. Always. Yep. And listening to Our Value Podcast, tune in again. Until next time.